Hey everybody, welcome to episode 51 of the Go Get Outside podcast. This is your host, Jason Milligan. Welcome back. Welcome aboard. On today's show, we will be speaking with Cindy Lang. She is a climber, canyoneer, caver, backpacker, hiker, and most importantly, because it is what we will be talking about throughout this entire episode, she is a horseback rider. And that is a topic that we have not discussed ever on this show in 50 episodes. It has not come up a single time, so I'm happy to bring you an episode that focuses on horses Finally, Cindy and I recorded this at a barn in Santa Clarita one afternoon on Mother's Day, and we discussed a multitude of topics revolving around equestrian pursuits. And so now let's go hear me sound like an idiot trying to hold a conversation about horses. Cindy Lang and And those are horses yeah that's coral I ride horses so I'm a horseback rider rock climber canyoneer caver hiker backpacker dog lover but not but not simultaneously (laughs) not oh some of them simultaneously (laughs) I really want to see you combine climbing and horseback riding into one pursuit okay so funny we kind of talked about like doing like a backpacking like horseback ride pack to a climb so maybe not both together but you know a little bit together ride to the climb climb ride back but that was like for way back country i mean if you got the right kind of horse maybe the horse would be interested in getting attached to a rope and hauled I don't, I don't think I have the right kind of horse for that. <laughs> I think she'd be very upset. So you have been a horseback rider for a very long time, correct? Yes. So how does that come about? My mom, I think, went through one of those like parks and recreation magazines, and it was like, mom and me, horseback riding lessons. And I was probably like six or seven or so, somewhere like that, and my brother was even younger. And so we all took these horseback riding lessons together. Like my mom, my little brother, who was absolutely not interested, and me, I loved it. No one will know this until I say this right now, but I like that we are recording this on Mother's Day. And the beginning of your story is that your mother wanted to spend quality time with you. In the spirit of Mother's Day, <laughs> yes, spending time with your mother, as everyone listening should go do, is what got you into it. Yeah. We brought like a tin pack of riding lessons, and every Saturday we'd go riding together. And this arena, it was always arena rides. They were like ring lessons where you just ride around in the ring and you walk, trot, canter, and circle. And it's like not super exciting. And like the last lesson is you've progressed into going on a trail ride. It's better though than like a pony ride at like a state fair yeah. or, right? Yeah. It wasn't yeah. like that no, where a miserable like... <laughs> horse was attached to a pole and you rode on it, right? Yeah. No, you did. we did learn like how to steer and really ride, walk, trot, canter, do all of the basic horseback riding things together. And you were about six years old, you said? Yeah, about six. Okay, so mm-hmm. that is the age where either you don't know that you can get hurt, so you could be super excited about it, or you're still scared of everything. So what was it like? Was it terrifying? Was it super fun? Oh, Both? It was so fun. So fun. I remember riding around and like pretending you could fly at the <laughs> canter. Because they would put you on these horses that were dead broke, Never did anything wrong. And they're like, let go of your reins. And you're cantering around and you're like flying along. I just remember it being so fun and having so much fun, like being with the horses. So does that mean prior to that, no one in your family was into horseback riding? That it really began with this no. little ad in a paper or something? My mom, I think, owned horses. She, I know she owned horses when she was younger, but she, like she's not interested in them at all now. And she wanted to go take us riding because she enjoyed it when she was a kid. But, like, now, not about the horses. But she had a mare and foal when she was about 16 or 17. She sold them probably within the year of buying them, I think. So that's interesting. So your mom said, hey, let's go spend some quality time together. 
you take 10 lessons at your horseback riding place, brings you there to do that. Somehow what was just supposed to be a fun little one-time activity has turned into a much bigger thing for you. So how did that progress from there? We did those lessons and then we moved to San Diego. And in San Diego, we didn't live anywhere really near horses, but I always wanted to get back to horses. So my mom sent me to, she sent me to vaulting lessons, summer camp. And I spent two weeks at this ranch doing vaulting on these big draft horses. They're on a line and they canter around and you stand on them and like do somersaults off of them and all these like acrobatic. So wait, is that what vaulting is? Yeah. So you're going to have to assume that everybody like me is mostly ignorant of all (laughs) these things. So I just assumed vaulting was jumping things. Uh, So it sounds like it's actually way more dangerous than that. Have you heard of Cavalia? Uh, Let's pretend I haven't haven't? because I haven't. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of you you go around on these big horses and they're your little kid, at least I was, and they have a bar on them and you can stand on their backs and ride around and then you learn how to do tricks off of them like some kids, I could never do a flip, but I could somersault like off the back and land on my feet. You do handstands and stand on them while they while they jump jumps. So I did that for a summer camp. I have seen what you're talking about now where, with that bar that's attached. So I, I just think yeah. I never knew what was going on. Yeah. So that's, that's vaulting. So you started out riding at six and then you go to vaulting summer camp because apparently it, it wasn't exciting enough. You needed, <laughs> you needed to add gymnastics into your horseback riding. Yeah. So uh, how, what was that like? What was, it was a whole summer? It, it was, was like, like sleepaway camp? It was sleepaway camp for like two weeks. It was so fun. You learned all about horses and how to take care of horses and kind of all the things I didn't learn taking those lessons. So I did the summer camp and then I didn't ride for really like three more years after that, but I like loved it so much. And I don't know why I didn't go to another camp, but I just didn't. And we moved back up here to LA, I guess when I was 10 or 11. Then I got back into riding horses and did a lot of lessons for a long time. And then I joined the California Rangers. It's like the Calvary. I don't know how to explain what Rangers is. If you don't explain it, the image in my head is forever going to be you in some really tall hat dressed as some Civil War. You pick your side. Dressed in the garb of Civil War soldier. I'll make it worse for you. The colors for the Rangers was a bright yellow shirt with black pants with a yellow stripe down the side. So now I'm picturing you as like a highway worker with cones (laughs) on a horse with a sword and a really tall hat. That's pretty much, yeah, that's it. It's like drill team on horses. It's like choreographed and you have to turn and you circle all Ah, together. So it's like the synchronized swimming of horseback riding. Yes, it was like horseback riding, synchronized swimming. That is kind of a perfect way to describe it except for the swimming part which is not which is not accurate at all might be way cooler with swimming i don't know it would be more skillful to get your horse to do what you wanted in the water but yeah you do all these maneuvers on horseback it's really regimented and you can kind of progress through the ranks like corporal and captain and all these things that i kind of really wasn't interested in because i just wanted to be riding a horse that's I was like, this is a thing. I can go do this. My friends were kind of into it, and we all kind of did it through, I guess, junior high in the beginning of high school. What rank did you achieve? Oh, my God. It was so long ago. What rank did I achieve? She was an admiral. We'll just say she was the admiral. <laughs> I don't know what rank I achieved. I don't, couldn't even tell you what like what the lowest rank is right now. It was brown belt. Brown were, belt. Horseback we're riding, just gonna brown belt. We're going to conflate everything. Synchronized swimming, martial arts, and the Navy yeah. into horseback riding. Yeah, there we go. So was there a reason it was called the Rangers? Like, did it, it have some other aspect to it that maybe you didn't get involved in? No. Like bounty hunting or something? <laughs> like, why was why is it the Rangers? No, it was just kind of a group. For... I guess because you're on the range or something? I, I really know. don't know why Rangers. I should know, though, because I was a member for a long time. Alumni Cindy Lang, <laughs> proud, proud admiral of the Rangers. <laughs> I know. That's going to get back to me. Excuse like, me, what? alumnus. Alumnus. That would be proper, right? Because alumni would be plural. I, I guess. I don't yeah. want anybody to write in and correct my. <laughs> I'm Latin. actually twins put together. It was very, like, supposed to be military, regimented. Okay, right. Like, you always, like, were taught, like, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. You had to ask, like, your questions, like, formally, and you had to salute. 
So to conflate it with something else, it was the ROTC of horseback riding. There you. That's probably even better. It was very. It was probably more like ROTC. I never did ROTC, but it was probably more like that for kids because they wanted. I don't know to instill like good morals of being a person, but also like being a good horse person. So it was. It was good in that regard for like learning about horses and knowing more about horses. But then I kind of out of that i mean once you attain admiral there's nowhere higher to go <laughs> I never i was like the second rank like i don't even th- i did not progress that far because so you, you had so you're like fuchsia belt or some belt maybe, no one's heard of probably yeah, some okay. like insignificant belt <laughs> that no one even blinks at yeah you had to take these like you had to take written tests on on horse husbandry but not while on the horse not while on the horse it sounded like you were going to say you had to take tests while riding the you horse you did you did have to take riding tests like they would test your riding skills you'd have to go in and perform maneuvers and the circles had to be a certain size it was kind of like the DMV it was kind of like the DMV <laughs> maybe a little bit dressage i don't know if you've seen dressage in the olympics but they do it very like at this point, you turn here, and it needs to be this big, and you get graded on whether or not you executed that precisely with your horse. So it's all about kind of knowing how to control your horse and being able to ride. So they did grade you on that, and that was part of moving up in the ranks. You but got A-pluses on everything. A-pluses, but like I said, I think I only achieved like second level. <laughs> and then you group. said, you said, to hell with this. I already did the gymnastics of horsing. I did the synchronized swimming of horsing. Now I've done the ROTC of horseback riding. (laughs) It's time to move on to something new. So what happened was I was at that ranch all the time. And this is, by the way, the same ranch that I took my first (laughs) lessons at. Yes, I left Rangers and I started working at the ripe age of 14 at this ranch doing... Was that legal? No, probably not. Well... Yeah, so I started working there <laughs> under the table, um, as most ranches do. I mean, when you're a kid, you kind of get enlisted for things, and then you get some money when you're on ranches. Um, so my job there was to tack up all of the lesson horses, and then also by proxy tack up all the ranger horses that I was no longer part of. What does it mean to tack up a horse? Oh, tacking up. You put like their saddle and bridle on so that people can ride them, and you groom them up for the people that are going to ride them. So I would groom and saddle and bridle the horses and then people would ride them for their lessons so you were a squire you were like a squire <laughs> in, in, in medieval times yeah yeah i guess i guess so and then part of my job if there was anyone available like or anyone who came and wanted to i would take people out on trail rides but if i didn't get to take anyone out on trail rides my real job was filling up water buckets and at 14 that was like the easiest job for like a good amount of money and I got to be around horses all day, and I thought that was the coolest thing when you're, what, an eighth grader, a ninth grader? I did that for a long time. For 20 years? For 20 years. <laughs> and here I am at 30, still just filling up water buckets for a couple pennies. So you filled up water buckets, you took people riding, you squired, I squired. for people. And then I saved enough money, and I bought my own horse. And it was probably the worst horse I could have ever bought myself. What, what kind of horse was it? He was a quarter horse. I don't know where he came from. The woman that owned the ranch would get these horses from like a horse dealer. And she'd come and bring them to the barn. And they would be there. And they would, you know, kind of decide if they wanted to keep them to be lesson horses at the barn. Or they would sell them privately to people at the barn. Or they'd get rid of them. I feel like he was probably one that they were going to get rid of. And then, like, I loved him. Because he was big and he had like a blonde mane and tail, but a really dark body. They call it flaxen. He had a flaxen mane and tail. And he was a liver chestnut, so his like coat was really dark. And I don't know, I just loved like his look. And I fell in love with him and I was like, I wanna buy him. So my mom, I don't know what she was thinking, let me buy him. Did you get him at a discount? No. Just checking because you said he was a bad horse to buy, so I wanted to he, see if you got if you got screwed on your first purchase or not. I well, I didn't get him at any specific discount, but I did get screwed over in that this horse was never really taught how to stop. I would take him on these trail rides, and my friends liked to canter around, and he would take off with me. He would just gallop, full blown down the trail and here I was, like a little kid at 14, like trying to stop this horse, but he's just going and he did it with me for 
a long time until I finally like got strong enough to stop him before he started and put more training on him and groundwork and all the things that make a good horse a good horse. I kind of worked with him. It took a couple years. Let's talk about that a little bit about building a relationship like that with your horse. With certain types of animals, like for instance, canines, there's this dominant structure. So if a person sets himself or herself up as like an alpha above that dog, they will become subservient to to that person, right? With horses, what is the approach? Is it about trying to form some sort of dominance so that the horse respects you? Or is it about becoming comfortable with each other and learning to know each other so that maybe you build some sort of trust or some sort of other relationship with the animal? You can't dominate a horse. They're a prey animal. They'll just be afraid of you if you try and dominate them. So it's really about building a bond with trust really you have to learn how to talk to them in a language that they understand like they don't understand if you come and hit them that doesn't create any subservience they're just going to be afraid of you as a predator they're not going to trust you they're not going to want to do what you want to do with them and so you really do have to form this like mutual trust bond with them that is really different than having a dog so it's a really different relationship than having a dog or a cat or really any other animal. It's really a partnership because you're asking these animals to carry you around and jump big jumps and take you places that for horses are scary. Horses can't see five feet in front of their face and you ask them to jump. Well, I've asked them to jump huge fences. They can't see that when they're right on top of it. They've got to trust that, you know, we're, we're going to be okay. Or we're going to go through this water and it's going to be okay. It's not too deep. We're not going to drown. Or this puddle on the ground isn't a giant hole and we can walk through it. And some of the horses don't trust you when you tell them that. And they'll have a whole meltdown. Mm -hmm. And then they'll step in it and be like, oh, you were right. And the next time you go through it, they're like, okay, we went over this once before. It's a puddle. We're going to step in it. It's going to be okay. So this horse you bought, what was his name? Gambler. Gambler. (laughs) So he didn't trust you. He was a problem child horse, it sounds like. So what was that like, building that relationship with him? What kind of stuff did you have to go through until you finally built up that relationship? You know, it was a lot of stumbling around through that relationship because I had ridden a lot, but I had never trained a horse to really have that bond. Like if you go on a trail ride, you're going to ride a horse, that horse is going to be dead broke. It's been ridden a million times by a million people, and it knows its job is to just go do this. And that's the kind of horses I had ridden my whole life before I got Gambler. Like, they all know, like, oh, my job is to go do this. I've done it every day of my life. Everything's going to be fine. And when I got him, he was just resistant and stubborn. And you you find out that all these horses have their own little personalities. Like, my horse here is super stubborn and a bully. And you get horses that are bullies, and, you know, Gambler was really a bully. And he wanted to do things his way. I kind of had to learn how to manipulate things into being what he wanted, but also what I wanted. He was barn sour, so he always wanted to run back to the barn. And I would run him the other direction, and we'd get really tired. And then, like, maybe we would go kind of home, but not really home. So I had to come up with all these little, like alternate routes and always kind of change it up on him and all but like we always went back he just had to get used to being out of the stabling area and out on the trails he finally got over it but I also I bought another horse when I had him and his name was Cash and that (laughs) there's a theme going on I didn't name any of them they just happened to fall (laughs) that way oh you're not the money hungry person no no Gambler and Cash, yeah, were my first two. And then I started riding both of them. And this is where I think Gambler got a lot of his training is the horse I had, Cash, was excellent. He was amazing. He was the best horse ever. And I would ride Cash and I'd pony Gambler so he would just come along with his tack. And so I'd pony Gambler and ride Cash. When Gambler wanted to go back, Cash would be like, oh. Like, we can keep going. It's fine. We're going to go do this. It's our job. And I would take them for hours out together. Trail rides that I wouldn't even recommend to any kid that I know. Like, I went and did when I was, like, 16, 17. And I would ride up into the hills and over to Castake Lake. And I would switch horses. Like, I'd ride one for a little bit. And then I'd switch and ride the other one. Kind of through that and, like, I don't know, having my own mini herd, Gambler turned into a good horse. And he was pretty good by the time I ended up selling him. Do you think it was actually kind of beneficial that he was a difficult horse 
because it maybe gave you more education and more experience dealing with horses further down the line. Yeah, he he definitely was a learning experience because I had to, you know, ask so many people like, okay, my horse does this. How do I fix it? And then you get their advice and then I come back and I'm like, okay, well, we fixed that. Now he also like, he does this. Well, that's because your bit's on backwards. Oh, I never knew that. And then, you you know, you fix it and you go through and you learn all these different tricks and how to work with them on the ground. And there's this whole school of ground manners called Pirelli. And it's kind of about the give and take of horses with pressure and building that relationship and finding what they're comfortable with. And I really had to do that with Gambler a lot. And I think I learned so much from him just being green and him being so stubborn and there's a funny saying that green and green makes black and blue and that definitely happened a couple times trial and error Mm -hmm. you make mistakes you fall off you get bucked off you get spun off it all just happens that brings us to another topic we should definitely discuss it's really easy to be terribly injured or even killed from being thrown from a horse or trampled or something else it sounds like you did have some experiences where you got hurt. Did that at any point dissuade you from coming back? No, I would have to say my scariest instance being thrown was with Gambler. And it wasn't even something that I thought I had to worry about. I was riding through the barn and it was a big barn and it goes up a hill and there's kind of a trail and there's lockers along the way and then there's horse stalls and then his stall was kind of at the top of this hill and I was riding him back from a trail ride and this woman who I had known for a really long time had a present for me and I was riding and she handed me the present while I was on the horse he stood there as she let me take this present and I unwrapped it and looked at my gift and I put it back and I was like oh like Thank you so much. You know, the whole thing, this whole time, he's had no problem with this gift. So I ride him up the hill a little bit more. The wind picks up and sand hits the bag and totally flips him out. He takes off at like a dead gallop. And I remember being so terrified. He had never done something like that at that spot. And then he veered up a hill that we weren't supposed to be up leapt in the air with this big buck and I remember looking down and seeing this enormous pipe sticking out of the ground someone was watching out for me that day because I didn't hit it but I literally landed inches from it and I remember like that was a day I was like I could seriously seriously be hurt like doing some of the stuff I'd done and I had been thrown before and it had never been a problem but I landed like inches from being impaled by this monster pipe and there was no one around that was going to help me. And it was like pre cell phones. Like I had a pager. I was like, this is, this is going to do me a whole lot of good. You had a pager. That means you were a drug dealer. <laughs> no, I had a pager. And then when like I got a text, I was like, oh crap, my mom's looking for me. Like, cause that's the only person who uses this. But I've had other injuries too. Like I got headbutted in the face and broke my nose and my orbital Um, And had to have that, like, surgically reconstructed. And then I was kicked in the spine. And I had to go to the chiropractor for a very long time to get it straightened out because um, my vertebrae shifted back. How does that work? If your spine got screwed up, what's the rehabilitation for that like? I went to the chiropractor every day for almost eight months. But were there braces involved or anything like that? Yeah, I had to wear a brace around my body. I went every day and they stretched it and they did like shock therapy on the muscles around it to get them to like pull back up. That one was crazy because they did took they took x-rays. I probably still have them somewhere. But I remember being so disappointed in that injury because I never bruised or had any like look, I got totally like kicked in the back and right. I've had this I had maybe I'd like little dime size red mark on my back. Meanwhile, you've got like some crazy weird things going on with your spine and your vertebrae. Oh, well, whatever. That was, it was fine. (laughs) Has that led to any chronic problems since or is it completely rehabilitated? No, you know, I had a really good chiropractor and I recommend chiropractic for everybody out there (laughs) who does any outdoor activities because it's, I don't know, it's great. They definitely, I think, saved me from having 
some sort of issue because I went in there, like I said, every day for eight months and then like every other day for another two months. And then they like slowly progressed me back. But I think I was in there for like almost two years getting therapy. And even that didn't dissuade you from getting back on a horse. No. <laughs> so so let's talk about that because if someone really loves something, it's really hard for something to, to keep them from wanting to come back. But if somebody's just kind of into something, it's can be kind of easy to scare them away you know just one thing happens and they say i don't want to do that anymore yeah so what is it specifically about horseback riding that makes you willing to put up with two years of spinal rehabilitation and the various other things that have occurred i don't know they're just the coolest animal <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know i i don't know what keeps bringing me back because some people would say well you could just get a motorcycle or, or oh, a mountain I a, bike and... <laughs> i had a motorcycle those are way more dangerous <laughs> Right, but some people would say, like, what well, you could just do that instead. And I, you know, if you like moving around on a vehicle, and I've, I've got to imagine part of riding horses is that it's a living creature that, in some sense, becomes a companion. Yeah, no, I, they're definitely a companion. And, like, so my horse here that none of you can see, haha. I can see it. <laughs> I bought her when she was two and a half, and she was probably four when I got kicked in the spine. So I was putting a lot of training on her. Even then, I already had this relationship with her. There was nothing that was going to stop me from keeping training with her. Like, I got kicked in the spine. I was back here, I think, the next day doing stuff with horses. The horse that kicked me in the spine is still here. We can go pet him. <laughs> He's still here. What's his name? Does he have an appropriate name? His name is Skylar. No. He <laughs> his name is Diablo. But, yeah, like, you build this partnership with them. There is something amazing about... You know, this creature that kind of trusts you, what is that, inexplicably, and does things you ask that you're like, well, if I was a horse, I'd probably not do that at all. So you mentioned that you sold Gambler. So how long yeah. did you have him? Three years, four years. So enough time to build some sort of relationship with him. First of all, why did you decide to sell him? And second, was it difficult because he had been your buddy for three years at that point? So I decided to sell him. I actually got an ultimatum from my mom. So what happened was I owned two horses. I owned Gambler and Cash at that time. And I took Cash on a trail ride for charity at this barn that we're at now. It was for Carousel Ranch, which helps with disabled children. They're a great little ranch and they teach disabled children how to ride. So we came and did a charity ride for them. And back in the day, there's Melody Ranch, Carousel Ranch trail ride. And Melody Ranch is the studio over here. It's actually where Westworld is being filmed right now. Oh. Um, and like Deadwood, basically all of the Westerns you've seen probably filmed over there because it's this whole little movie studio and it's a mini like old Western town. Part of the charity ride was like you get to ride through this old Western town. So I took cash, did this charity ride and it was great and I loved it. And we go to leave and my horse won't get on the trailer. Every trick in the book we tried to get him on this trailer to go back. He had never not gotten on a trailer before to leave. He got stuck here for two weeks. And in that two weeks, I met up with people I had ridden with before at the other ranch. And they were like, oh my gosh, you moved here. This is the greatest thing. Like, we're so excited that you're here. And I was like, oh, like, I didn't realize like all these people I knew were over here. Like, that's kind of cool. But I ended up going back to the other ranch because I worked there and my other horse was there. And then I kind of got to thinking like, well, that other ranch wasn't so bad and it's kind of, you know, a different place than where I'm at. And I had some friends over here and my friends from that ranch had moved. So I was like, well, maybe I'll go back. But my mom was kind of like, you can't go to the other ranch with two horses and no job. Like you need to have one horse. Like, so you need to pick one if you're going to move or keep both, keep your job and stay there. And I was kind of like, well, I really want to move without my mom knowing. <laughs> I hope she knows now. She does know now. It would She's be about hard. to find out. <laughs> it would be hard not to know now. But without my mom moving, knowing, I moved my horse cash back here so that I could trail ride with the people that I knew here. And in the time that I did that, the new owner of this barn offered me a job to work here. But my mom still said, you need to only have one horse, which was totally true. I really couldn't have two horses being 16 or 17 years old. And they were horses that did the same thing. They were both trail horses. She was like, you don't need two. 
you need to sell one and really cash was the better more appropriate horse even then like gambler got significantly better but he still had his moments of snotty horse attitude so i did end up selling him back to that barn and they kept him as a lesson horse i don't think they took him on trail because that's where he was the worst but so then i moved here and i worked here for a while and i kept cash is that a difficult decision to make it was difficult because he was like he was my friend but i knew where he was and they kind of were like well you can always come back and see him so i came back and visited visited him for a while and this other little girl started leasing him and he was kind of good and you know when you don't well, this is going to sound like really sad but you you kind of don't see something a lot and you kind of get more detached from it and i was so excited being here that i kind of like detached from him but it was still sad like I still have pictures of him and like I kept a piece of his tail because he was my first horse when you got gambler he had been someone else's horse before right yeah so I imagine there has to be an acclimation period where that horse has to get used to the idea that oh there's a new person that I have to interact with all the time and that other person is gone now yeah I I'm sure they go through that because they like a routine They like to see the same person every day. They would really probably like to do the same thing every day. They know time. Like I can tell you, I would turn these horses out and they knew when I was late. They'd whinny at me if I was running late. So they know time. They know people. They really have like real personalities. I just want to point out that your terminology, which I know you did not create, (laughs) of turning the horses out is the same terminology that pimps use (laughs) for their prostitutes. Really? Yeah, you've never heard that. No. Yes. Well, so I guess you learn you something are, new every day. So you are a officially horse, a horse pimp. A horse pimp. Yes. They weren't getting any action, so <laughs> I guess they were like on the losing end of that. Sorry, guys. You gotta watch more seventies black exploitation movies if you don't. If you don't know. I guess so. I'm not up on my like pimp terminology. <laughs> on, your, on your pimp jargon. Yeah, my pimp jargon. Or well, it like, sounds like it's all the same. So whatever and, jargon you use in equestrian pursuits, are perhaps the same. So you get rid of Gambler because having two horses is too much of a commitment and probably an expensive thing also for a 16-year-old kid. So what is involved in owning a horse? It's a big responsibility for a kid. You have to come out. You have to make sure they're exercised, groomed, taken care of. If they're injured, you have to take care of them. You feed them supplements. There's so much that goes into owning a horse. It's it's kind of really like having a toddler. Like, you can't lock a toddler up in a room and, you know, expect them to be okay. The horses, like, they need to get out. They do need exercise. You can't leave them in their stall for months and months and then come out and be like, oh, like, we're going to go for a ride. You, you have to keep them on a program in shape. They're athletes. I do jumping, so they're all athletes. They have to get out. They have to get exercise. The assumption with horse ownership is that it is an expensive thing. Is that across the board true? Yes. (laughs) Yes, it's expensive. Just even keeping the horse in a boarding facility is expensive. You can find cheaper places. You can kind of make it cheap, but it's still like $300, I think, is the cheapest board flat rate that I've heard that's per month like your base base would be 300 per month I don't know what level of care you would get with that here our baseboard is like 315 I think for like our smallest stall with the basic amenities like at this barn I know every day my horse is going to be looked at if there's something wrong with my horse I'm going to get a phone call like there are many positives for being at a facility that takes care of the horses. So now we're going to go back into your timeline a little bit. You had two horses. You were 16. Cool kids were at a different barn. So you you moved over there, got one horse, got a job there. And where have you gone from there? So before, when I was doing all these other things, it was mainly Western riding. And then when I moved here, I was still pretty set on being a Western rider. And that's just kind of the, the style of riding. For a long time, I resisted like transitioning over into English, which is what this barn is, as an English jumping barn. But I worked here and I exercised the horses. So I kind of had to start riding a little more English. And then I finally kind of switched over and I had this little Western horse. Cash was very Western. 
very traditional quarter horse, big, stocky, probably should never have jumped a jump in his life just based on his confirmation is what he looks like. I slowly got worn down into starting to jump and then I loved it. I had all these other horses to ride that boarded here so I learned how to ride English on a ton of other horses and I kept my horse as a trail horse and slowly over time like he just kind of became the go-to trail horse for everybody and then I bought Rosie who is this horse here I moved away from the gambling names (laughs) you have now moved into a flower motif yes (laughs) something nicer you're in your flower period it's the flower age (laughs) but I bought her when she was two and a half and started putting all the training on her to be an English jumping horse. And is that largely the way that English riding styles and Western riding styles differ? I mean, I imagine there must be more than just jumping. What's a, a quick description of the differences there? Western, you know, you have your Western saddle. It has the horn. It's a lot of trail riding, roping, gymkhana, which is the barrel racing, cattle sorting. All of those kind of fall into the Western genre. And then like eventing, dressage, jumping, hunters, equitation. It kind of all is the English side of the riding coin. Western style is kind of more rodeo style. And then yeah, sounds like English style is more what we'd imagine like polo players. and Yeah, the pol- I think polo players have an English saddle. And when we see old cartoons with with people hunting foxes they're riding yes. english style right fox hunting is english and it's kind of where like our whole like english riding thing i think has come from and i could be wrong and you can comment in the section that i'm totally <laughs> wrong because i'm not claiming to know everything about english riding <laughs> so you transitioned over to english riding when you when you moved to this barn yeah you got rosie yes and i got rosie she was four. I got kicked in the spine, and then she actually colicked really bad. So in, with horses, colic is kind of a blanket term for anything that goes wrong with them internally because they are very poorly designed animal. All of their intestines are loose in their body, and their stomach is loose. So when you hear about colic, it can be basically anything wrong with their stomach, and they can't throw up. If they could throw up, it would save them so many problems in life. But her stomach got blocked. And it swelled because we didn't know and then distended and then that left enough room in there for it to flip over itself. And so our intestines twisted. That's where you mostly hear of colic is our intestines flip over themselves and then they burst and the horses die. I managed to get her to the hospital and she had a big surgery that saved her life because she was going to die of a burst if she hadn't have gotten the surgery. And then the two of us lame gimps gimped together for <laughs> right <laughs> so you were both screwed up yeah so recovering. We, were, we were both totally screwed recovering so it kind of worked out because i couldn't ride at like a good capacity to be training and riding a young horse and she couldn't be ridden so it worked out for both of us and i got into a lot of the pirelli stuff we had a wonderful woman here named norma who taught us a lot of pirelli years ago and what would Pirelli be? It sounds like an Italian clown. It's a system that Pirelli came up with, and it's about ground manners and working with your horse and really bonding with your horse on the ground and getting them to do different maneuvers for you without any real force or pressure. It's really you ask, and then they ideally do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> and she was really willing. She had excellent ground manners when I got her. The per- the people that had her before did a lot of groundwork with her, which groundwork basically means like if I gave her to you, if I put her halter and lead rope on and handed her to you, she's not going to run you over. She's not going to step on you. She's not going to run away from you. She's not going to do anything bad that would hurt you. So she came with that, which was awesome. Then I just kind of got to expand on it. And it all translates back into riding too, because if we can have this great relationship on the ground, riding works out well too, because you teach them, you know, to move away from pressure. And when you ride, you put your leg on for pressure. So it really helps with guiding them and knowing what you're asking when you're riding. Having that time spent with her while we were both injured really probably helped our relationship in the long run, because she's kind of a mistrusting, quirky horse anyway. You got Rosie. You've moved to this place. 
you were working here. Do you still work here? Do you work with horses as your career path? I did. I actually just recently got a new job. But up until a month ago, this was my job. I would ride horses, pimp them out in the turnouts. <laughs> Apparently, that's a thing. Um, turn them out, take care of them. If they had any injuries, I was always kind of the person who took care of their injuries and, kind of, like, together with my boss, like, made the call, like, do we need stitches? Do we not need stitches? How bad is this? And then progressively from there, I did a lot of uh, the rehab work with these horses because they are athletes. They do pull muscles and tendons, and then they need help from there going forward. Are you going to say what you moved into instead? Or is oh. that supposed to be a secret? I, I mean, it's is it just... completely separate from... It's from... so different. It's, well, it kind of ties into a lot of what I've been saying. I work at a chiropractor's office now. Oh, so that's I, why you gave a big shout out to chiropractors yeah, earlier. It's not. Well, it is, but it's not because the chiropractor really did like save my spine. But I'm working at a chiropractor's now. Basically the receptionist right now, but I want to do billing. So and that's kind of what I went to school for. Does that mean you're gonna ne- you're gonna neglect your horse now? Because now I'm now I'm just gonna be a full blown <laughs> horse neglector, and I'm gonna turn it out in a pasture and get a phone call in like four months that it's died. No, I actually have a really cool schedule, and I get to come ride most days because I kind of have this like funny like late start and then a swing shift, so I get to come out and see the horses, and I still work here kind of. And the other thing, I used to show a lot, and then I became a professional. And when you're a professional... She did. She did finger quotations. Air quotes, because I still don't feel like a professional. (laughs) even So the definition of a professional in the horse world is if you get paid to work with horses. That's the definition Um, of professional in anything. That's all that separates. Well, shit. (laughs) I guess that's true. So you were a professional. I was a professional, but not even... like I think a professional like Olympic-level status, and that's not even close. That would be an Olympian, and they don't always get paid. So a professional gets paid, and the Olympian doesn't necessarily. Well then. <laughs> so you were a professional, and you were you were competing. Is that what you were saying? I no. Well, so I I did compete. I guess technically as a professional, and then I got called out for competing as a professional. There's a way to get around it. You call yourself like a working student. I was a working student. There's a lot of air quotes going on right now. It's like air quotes nonstop (laughs) over here. (laughs) Yeah, I was was a working student. I think she may have even used air quotes when she introduced herself as Cindy Lane. Maybe. (laughs) It's not real. None of this is real. So as a working student, I competed. And I competed mostly against my friends who didn't care. But once you start competing against, like, other trainers... People start caring. Okay, do you see that? Do you see those two massive coyotes in my arena right now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got some coyotes over here. Huge. And the horse has also noticed the coyotes, and the coyotes are leaving. Well, no, they're not leaving. They're going to the other part of the barn. Oh, is that what's (laughs) going on? I I don't think the coyotes can eat the horses, so I think they should be okay. They'll be fine. (laughs) More concerned about the dog. but Hopefully there are no little rabbits around here. (laughs) we were talking about you being a professional without quotations without quotation marks so some of the trainers told my boss who i work for who's also a trainer that i couldn't compete anymore against their clients because professional status or whatnot so i kind of stopped showing and i guess what i was trying to get to is now that i am not a professional i am looking forward to starting to show again with my horse so that should be really fun coming up. And it's kind of been fun just being like a, a client at a barn and not the person, you know, everyone goes to. You just nicely segued for me into the next topic, which I was going to ask you after you've been in the ROTC of horseback riding and the synchronized swimming of riding and a professional rider. What do you want to do with your future in writing? And so it sounds like you want to get back into showing. Yeah, I do want to get back into showing. When I did show with this mare, we did jumpers, which is jumping against the clock and going for fastest time, which I think is the funnest part of this sport. So it's like a race through the jumps and you have to do it skillfully because... You can't knock the fences over. That gives you faults. And you have to really make precision turns because you can go past the jump, turn too early. There's so many things that can go wrong. I just think it's the funnest thing. And I have an amazing mare 
who is so happy to go race around jumps and is super careful and scopey and nice to ride. So I'm really excited to get back on our training up to go do the jumpers again where I can, you know, show at whatever horse show I want to <laughs> in the amateur classes. And you won't have to be a air quote professional. I won't anymore. be an air quote. That's all I ever was, an air quote professional. <laughs> so that's what you've got in store for the future. So would you have any advice for people at home who, like me, know very little about horseback riding, who maybe always thought, oh, that's a cool thing. Maybe I want to give that a try or look into that. Do you have any advice for those people? Advice for those people. Find a good trainer that you get along with. Old horses are great horses. Always get an old horse. If you want to learn how to ride, always get an old horse. That's what I'm going to tell you. I always see people who are like, I want to learn how to ride, and I want a baby, and I want to train it, and we're going to be like the best team ever. No. (laughs) Take it from me and Gambler. Green and green makes black and blue, and you'll be injured. The old horse is your best friend. They know what they're doing. They've done it a million times. Ride an old horse. I think that is a great sentiment to end on. Is there any place where people could see photos of you and the horse? Is there anywhere that you've documented any of this stuff, any sort of online presence you have whatsoever? Or do you just want people to leave you the hell alone? I mean, on my Facebook, I have some pictures. I don't have a ton of pictures because there's not really a ton of people out here taking pictures. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are, but... Not of me riding, because I ride in the morning. I have an Instagram, but I don't think any of my horse pictures are on there. A lot of my pictures that I have now of horses are me riding with their little like head pointed somewhere. I'm like, having a great day on trail, because <laughs> that's when I get to take pictures of a horse. Like, I never can set up a camera and take pictures of me jumping or anything like that. Are there any sort of websites or anything that you would recommend to people, places where they could go to either get involved or maybe organizations that they could join to help support the equestrian communities? If they wanted to like volunteer and support Carousel Ranch as a great place to be around horses and really help kids, they do a lot for kids with disabilities. And I know they train their volunteers to work with horses. So if you want to just work with horses and get to know horses and be around horses, I think they take a lot of volunteers and it's a really great organization. If you just wanted to get out and go on a trail ride, I know Griffith Park has a good trail ride program. But like the LA Equestrian Center has a ton of trainers and there's people there. And I think you can take lessons there and it's a, a, a good place to get started. And there's another barn up here, Donnybrook, if you just want to come take a couple lessons and see if it's even for you, Donnybrook is usually a good place to start for jumping. If you wanted to learn how to jump, Eclipse Farms is a great jumping barn. That's where I worked. And (laughs) shameless plug, I suppose. They're a, a, a great jumping barn. So if you have aspirations for jumping and showing, that would be the place to go. All right. And before we end this and then go see if we can chase off some coyotes, is there just any final thoughts you'd like to leave everyone with or anything we didn't discuss that you'd want to talk about really quickly or any points you want to reinforce for people? For like anyone who wants to ride horses, I think it's a great thing to be in. If you have kids, horses are amazing for kids. It teaches responsibility, good judgment calls, you know, you kind of learn a lot of common sense out here. If there are kids out there, you know, or if you have kids and they want to get into horses, I would definitely get them into horses because it's just a good thing to be in. Kept me out of trouble when I was a kid. All right. Well, I'm going to let you get back to pimping out your horses <laughs> before we lose the sun and the coyotes eat all the rabbits. Thanks for meeting me out here and doing this. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Let us never forget that green and green make black and blue. And while you contemplate those wise words, why don't you head on over to the website, gogetoutside.com slash podcast, episode 51, Cindy Lang. And there you will find photos of Cindy and horses. They do exist, despite what she said earlier in the show. There are indeed photos of her with horses. And you will also find a number of links, including her Instagram account, 
and a multitude of Southern California ranches, places where you can go ride horses yourself or get involved in that community. Links to Carousel Ranch, the charity that she mentioned, Sunset Ranch, which will bring you riding through Griffith Park, the LA Equestrian Center, Donnybrook Farms, Eclipse Farms, and Pirelli.com and Melody Ranch, the movie studio she mentioned. But... Do not feel left out, those of you not located in the southern portion of the western region of the United States. You'll also find a link to a list of writing schools throughout the United States. And for those of you not located in the United States, my apologies, you will have to use Google or your search engine of choice on your own. And if you'd like to contact us here at the show, perhaps to berate me for comparing street pimping with animal husbandry, Well, you can do that. Send us an email, go at butcherbirdstudios.com or give us a call, 818-925-0106. Apparently, you can even text us at that number, as I found out recently when I received a couple of texts for Mingo asking if it was okay if this person attended whatever event he or she was trying to go to. So if you'd like to send us strange, late, drunken texts, You can also do that, or leave us a voicemail, 818-925-0106. And if you haven't gotten bored on the internet yet, going through all those links, those photographs, sending those emails and text messages, well then run on over to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you consume this and other podcasts. Make sure you subscribe to the show, and if you would, rate the show, review the show, share it with someone who might like it. Next time on the show, Eric Johnson, freestyle skier, canyoneer, lawyer, amnesiac, amputee. Come back July 1st, Eric Johnson. See you then. Mm-hmm.